Welcome to another edition of the Revealing the Diamond podcast. I'm your host, Tiago Prem. This week, we sit down with Kundalini Yoga teacher, Aquarian man, Ayurvedic scholar, father, husband of devotional singer Simrit. If you haven't heard Simrit, you got to get on that. She's incredible. We play her in our classes. We play her in our home. If you want to learn more about Jai Dev, you can follow him on Instagram at J-A-I-D-E-V, Jai Dev Singh, or check out his online courses at the Life Force Academy, an extensive resource for all things Kundalini Yoga, as well as courses on Ayurveda, courses on the science of sound. I was really looking forward to this conversation. It didn't disappoint. It was such an insightful time, an insightful conversation with an inspiring teacher and friend. So without further ado, I bring you a great spiritual teacher of integrity and wonderful person, Jaidev Singh, right here on Revealing the Diamond podcast. And one last little request before we go to that is if you love this podcast, which I know you do because you're here listening, take the time to rate us and review us on iTunes so that we can keep doing this. We can keep providing lectures and interviews, getting the teachings to a broader audience. Thank you. I love you all. And we'll see you soon. Satnam. Well, Jaidev, thanks for taking the time to uh, talk with us on Revealing the Diamond. We're sure grateful to have you here. Yeah, indeed. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. We, I think a great place to start is with these um, interview sessions that we're doing with this podcast is to kind of get a little background on who you are and what you do and, and start off there and then we can explore that a little deeper. Okay, beautiful. So you want to let us know a little bit about you and where you live and what you do? And Oh, yeah, sure, man. Uh, so I, <laughs> I live in Nevada City, California. Yeah. And I'm originally from the East Coast, though. I grew up in South Carolina. Okay. And uh, But I've lived here almost, gosh, I don't know, like 15 years, uh, roughly. I haven't really been keeping track, but something like that. And I went live here with my wife Simrit and we have a 12 year old son and uh, we have a, a really beautiful life. I teach a lot of yoga and and various things and she's a musician uh, on the road a lot but we often come together and do our best to find enough time at home to enjoy our family but we also enjoy our work and we both have uh, you know, we're strong mission-oriented people. So we have our Life Force Academy that uh, that we do. That's an online thing that has members all over the world, like over twenty-something different countries, and and a lot of our online courses. And then, of course, we're traveling and teaching. And so, yoga and music is takes up the majority of our our life. And so, we're very blessed in that way. Amazing. How long yeah. have you had? Uh, I've been a member of the Life Force Academy, and I, I sure, especially as I was getting into doing the Kundalini Yoga, it was such a great resource. How how long have you had that for? Yeah, how long have we had it for? It's a, <laughs> um, I think it's now like a few years old, or uh, I don't remember exactly, but we're somewhere in that three to four year range. Is that and, right? I think I believe so. I'd have to double check that. I'm, I'm already like uh, you can see. I'm not very good with the passage of time because I can't remember how long I lived in Nevada City, how long we've had the Life Force Academy, but it's definitely older than two years and younger than ten years. <laughs> right, you're and, a, a yogi living beyond time and space. Oh well, one would like to think so. <laughs> Um, but we just, we just, as of yesterday, actually, at least when we're yesterday, when we're recording this, um, we just, uh, launched our new Life Force Academy. So it's all like 
from the original one that we uh, launched some years ago, we just kind of flipped that over and now we have this whole brand new one, which I'm excited about. But yeah, so it's a cool thing, man. It's, it's keeps me inspired and creative and it has a life of its own. And our whole thing is, you know, how do we, I, I think one of the number one challenges that I found that yoga practitioners, meditation practitioners, anything, people trying to do things that are helpful. It, the number one problem seems to be consistency. Mm. And I think the number one problem, uh, the number one thing that is most important also is the same thing that that's, you know, the biggest challenge is consistency. I think consistency is uh, key in anything, you know, that you're trying to do um, to build yourself and to make good progress, whether it's in health or whether it's in your spirituality or anything else. It requires that slow, long-term grind, you know, and and that's very challenging. And that's why we created the Life Force Academy was to really, I, how do we, can we create something that would help people with that consistency piece? And then it just took off from there. Hmm. Yeah, I often uh, say to people, and it's funny because it's been a theme the last couple of uh, shows that we're starting off like this, that 90% of the benefit of the practice, whatever the practice might be, meditation, yoga, it could be anything. Uh, the benefit is the commitment. That's the big one. And I was even mentioning to somebody the other day saying, if you made a commitment not to take a paper cup from the uh, coffee place, and you said, I'm going to do that. And if I don't have a reusable cup, uh, then I'm just not going to have coffee. And you committed to that and you followed through. Mm -hmm. You would get like benefits that you would out of a meditation practice just from the commitment. And I love the way you use the word consistency because that hasn't come up. We've been calling it commitment. And I think there's something to using that word as well to be consistent with your commitment. Yeah. And what do you think uh, makes a person able to commit i always think that's an interesting thing because sometimes you know you have these waves of inspiration that'll allow you to commit and sometimes it's harder to commit you know mm -hmm. so it's like you had to be really inspired uh, if you're a coffee drinker to like make that commitment of not using a paper cup because when somebody wants coffee and they're a coffee drinker man uh, you better <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, no kidding. I mean, it, it's just, for me, you know, like what you're saying with the difficulty and consistency, I see it so much. And I think it's like, if, if somebody can just say that they're going to do something, and it could be something that is a small thing, like, maybe it's like, I'm going to get up at the same time every day, or I'm mm -hmm. going to, you know, like, it, it could be anything, it could be like, I'm going to do this five minutes of meditation every day as long as I do it before I go to bed or whatever it mm -hmm. might be. If you can keep up with that, like you feel pretty good about yourself. And I often use this analogy like parenting and you, you're a further down the way than I am. I and mean, we only have one child as well. And she's five, going to be six in June. And I always mm -hmm. say like, I think a good parent, you, you put things just out of reach of the child, like if you're trying to teach them to do something, you don't just do it for them and you don't put it way out of reach because then they'll end up frustrated and feel like they can't do it. But if mm. you put it just out of reach enough that you know they can grab it, they feel so good about themselves when they do it. And mm. I think that's kind of what we're looking at with how commitment is uh, so key. Or I think Yogi Bhajan called it let your will win. And I think that's sort of what you're working with, like set yourself up for success. And then the more you do that, the the better you feel and the more likely you'll commit and, uh, yeah. or be consistent. Yeah. Like we do these 40 day challenges in our Academy and, you know, they're always really, everyone's really excited at the beginning, you know, in the first few days. But when you get to like day 17, you know, or day even like 11, then it starts to become more difficult. Mm -hmm. And instead of telling people, you know, only that this is going to be awesome, it's, you know, you, you got this, it's going to 
you know, I think it's also important. That, well, this is going to be hard, you know, because any any time that you try to you make a commitment in one direction, this is a polarity planet. You're gonna you're gonna create a re, an equal and opposite resistance, mm-hmm. and especially if you're doing something like Kundalini Yoga, where or any meditation practice, you're gonna start to stir up your subconscious mind, and that's gonna create resistance. So because there's this great self sabotage mechanism that we all have in the that that's part of our subconscious that anytime we're trying to you know, do something good. There's this polarity to us that seems to want to hijack it in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that comes in very just like unassuming, creative ways. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just part of the human psyche. So that's why, you know, we try. Like we'll say, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Like we start one for the springtime and. We're going to do these meditations each day and this is what they're about and this is what they'll do for you and you can do it every day. But then we also like once a week, we're going to get together as a group, but then we're also going to release certain teachings once a week. And that's also part of the 40 day commitment, because if you can keep your mind connected to the bigger reason that you're doing the commitment that you committed in the first place. If you can keep your lens wide and broad and not get narrowed down into the stress of things too much then it's much more likely that you're going to maintain consistency because as the mind stays connected to what's truly important versus what is seemingly important, now we're in business. And that's the goal, isn't it? And that's what meditation does for you. It brings your mind into this wide, more expansive space where what's really important becomes apparent and what what seemingly important yet ultimately not very important at all also becomes apparent because mm-hmm. what's apparent, what's truly important will also be important to you when you're about to take your last breath here on earth. Right. And if that can stay connected to you on any given day, then you're going to make wise decisions in life and you're going to be genuine in life and big hearted and intuitive in life. And so, you know, what's more important than that? And, but, but we need discipline and a lifestyle that keeps our mind connected to that. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love it. I, I've been thinking a lot lately about the difference between you. There's like an expression that you see around or you hear it around uh, that is don't believe everything that you think. And when you hear that expression, it's uh, denoting or making a point that there's a part of you that's thinking and then there's a part of you that's believing the thought. Mm. So there's your thinking mind and then there's the part of you that's observing the thinking mind. And then mm-hmm. I think like, Okay, well, you know, how many times as a child was I told that I'm not my thoughts? Well, zero. Mm-hmm. I've never been told that. But yet, but <laughs> right. yet you know, there was there's this like common phrase mm-hmm. that that pops up, you know, on social mm-hmm. media or just or you tell that to a classroom full of people. Don't believe that everything that you think, and it totally makes sense. So that means that there is a part of you that is like the what is or the important part of. Uh, the what is with a capital W as opposed to the thinking mind, which is the what is little W. And I think there's something to that. I think there's a part of you that thinks, and then there's a part of you that is. And I guess with your practice, you're becoming aware of the thinking part of you is just going to go on thinking the same way that your heart goes beating, same way that your nose goes breathing. And then there's the part of you that's processing that. And I guess the yoga practice is, so far in my understanding through the years are about getting in touch with that part of you that's choosing whether to believe what you think or don't think, but also you're acknowledging that you're going to think it's going to happen and you just create a new relationship with thought. And I guess that's meditation. You have any thoughts on that? You know, I think it's, you know, somewhat useful. Like the yogis have this very, uh, well, well researched you know through just hundreds if not thousands of years of experience but they call that part of your part of you that is believing something using the semantic that yeah. you offered yeah is uh like they the word is a hunkar but right. and that's often loosely translated as ego which isn't always a great translation because when we utter the word ego 
is often has a negative connotation. Right. But this this does not have a negative connotation. It's neutral. You know, it's it, is your liver good or bad? It's neither. It's bad if it's you know to- toxic and causing you pain and suffering, and it's good if it's doing its job well. But it, inherently, it's neutral. Mm-hmm. So it's part of the psyche that believes things or grips onto things, and like so, you know, I really dig yoga. And, and so I can take on this sense of like identity, like I believe in it and that's resonates with me and I can identify myself as a yogi and that's helpful to me. And that's part of the ego. It's part of the sense of what makes me, me. Hmm. And that's, that is going to then uh, inform the types of beliefs that I, I hold. Now I may be, even hopefully wise enough to know that is just still not necessarily uh, absent of illusion. That even even that is still a construct of my psyche, you know, mm-hmm. and that may not even have inherent reality, but is important in the sense that everybody has to have a sense of identity. Mm-hmm. As the yogis just say that as long as you're in a human body, you're going to continuously create an imagery of yourself. That's just part of the, the, the architecture of a human mind. And so you and I, we always have some image of ourselves and we can say, oh, well, we're formless. You know, we have no imagery, but that's not really true because then if you believe in like, say, a formlessness, well, your form then becomes F-O-R-M-L-E-S-S. There's always some sort, the mind, in order for it to like operate, it has to kind of identify with things and believe in things and so forth so we do our best to create the types of identity that will keep us expanding and part of what i love about yoga practice and especially kundalini yoga practice which they call it the yoga of awareness Mm -hmm. because it's expanding your sense of awareness so that my job is to continually have a bigger and bigger experience of what i am And so then my identity shouldn't be something that's static or stagnant. It's something that's dynamic and continuing. And I have to know as a, uh, as a, uh, as a hopefully a smart individual (laughs) that, that I don't know that I, that my current understanding and experience of what I am is limited. And, and that there is layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of reality that I have yet to experience and comprehend. And so if that becomes my belief and my how I am kind of positioning my disposition, then I'm not constricting my mental channels and I'm not being too dogmatic about things and I'm not being too rigid in my opinions and therefore I'm not too polarized and it allows me to get along with people who may have a different political persuasion than I do or a different sexual orientation than I do and allows me to just be a human being that's interested in learning and the mystery of life and not so uptight about things and not so rigid in terms of my belief structure. There is a sense of belief in what I vibe with and what I resonate with, but it's not rigid and uptight. And that allows that expansion of identity to increase and increase. And then I realize because of the field of awareness, there's part of me that is talking. There's part of me that is listening to me talk. But then there's another part of me, if I can be aware enough, that is awareness that you can actually watch the part of me that is listening to me talk. And that's what meditation ends up doing. You, those, somebody who's listening to this right now, they can listen to it. Okay. That's one level of the awareness or the consciousness. They can be conscious of themselves listening to it. But then hopefully if they're not driving, they can also (laughs) be aware of the part of themselves that is listening to themselves. Uh, listen to the or watching themselves listen to the podcast and when you are start to explore those different states of an awareness and there's no reason young children can't do that in fact they're very good at it mm-hmm. it com- comes quite easy to them because there's less distortion in the field right then 
you have an experience that you're not your thoughts. It doesn't have to be just a belief that I'm not my thoughts. You have an experience that thoughts are something that are uh, that are flowing, that I'm more so being subjected to, but they're not. I'm not creating them myself. And I can separate myself from the flow of thoughts and furthermore, the flow of feelings and emotions. So I can experience emotion without being emotionally dominated by the emotion. And that's a very important maturity that we have to develop as human beings. So we're not so darn polarized and so uh, offended so easily or upset and angered and anxious too easily. And so slammed uh, by things when, uh, painful things when they do occur in our lives because they will occur if life is looks like easy street there is danger at your door yes that's right i know i know that line <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it's so true it's a process i guess of uh seeing beneath the surface i like the idea that uh, i think it's young who said that your thoughts are denser than the physical body even and I, hmm, I think that's, that's interesting. It's a super interesting uh, idea because they're they're totally quantifiable. They can be measured, uh, and then hmm. they're at the same time like you, you know you think about okay the body's going to die and it's going to become something else. We know that's true, but as far as your thoughts go, like your thoughts are really dense because they don't they just come and go, and that's sort of the end of it. But your body is even more eternal than your thoughts. So your thoughts are very dense. And so we don't need to place too much value on them. As you said, unless you're driving, there, there's, there's value to it. But it isn't the supreme reality of who you are, I guess. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, there's useful thoughts and there's non-useful thoughts. And I think sometimes, especially in certain spiritual cultures, the yogic culture uh, included, because we have just as seemingly just as much dogma and rigidity in our yogic communities than we do in our religious communities. Mm -hmm. and I'm not anti-religion or for religion or anything like that. I'm just making an observation that uh, I, I am not into rigidity and I'm not into things that cause more pain than they do help people. Yeah, that's and, right. And so sometimes, like, for instance, you have, like, a, a, a thought that you don't like, you know, or a feeling or emotion or desire that, you're, that doesn't resonate with who you are, and yet you're really pulled by it. You know, it's a perverted feeling or thought or desire or a – a uh, um, kind of a, uh, a mean-spirited feeling. And so sometimes what I think what happens with folks is we, we feel that or think that or desire that, and then there's like this kind of cringe that happens internally or this kind of sensation that of guilt for even like feeling that way or having that thing. And so – that's a phenomenon of still the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions are so clinged to by the, this ahamkara, this sense of what I am. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't have the capacity to separate what I am from the thoughts that are being experienced in my mind, then I've got uh, essentially I'm living in a space, an internal space that is going to you know, be pretty miserable ultimately mm -hmm. because I can't, because who knows, you know, this, uh, the yogis describe it as you're not, the mind is not in your brain. The brain is like a computer, but the mind is, you're living in the ocean of the mind. The mind is the body, is the great insight of Ayurveda, that the muscles are part of the mind and the blood is part of the mind. And furthermore, the entire creation is the mind so it's not that the mind is inside of you but the mind is like an ocean and we are like fish swimming in it and so we're just like a wave can impact you from many 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 hundreds of miles away uh, a a thought could come from who knows where and from who knows what your ancestry your this your that the karma the 
the TV show that you saw that was then in the subconscious or some billboard that you passed but weren't even aware that you saw and that went into the subconscious. The mind is infinitely complex. And so if we haven't been able to actually have the, the number one, the experience that the mind is not substantive, the thoughts that flow through the mind are not substantive in and of themselves, mm. then we're, we've got a problem. And then furthermore, do we have some sort of practice that keeps that type of expanded awareness that makes sure that we are able to separate what we are from the experiences of the mind? And that's what the whole thing is about. Yeah, I love everything in, in in yoga, as you know, is about the is about the mind. Yes, definitely. everything in life is about the mind. It's not about the body, and yet the body is the substratum of the mind. So the body is also important, but it's important mostly from the context of the mind. Mm -hmm. I love the mind as the ocean analogy. I definitely, uh, in my Buddhist studies, in my time of practice, I there's a lot of use of the word mind and space being the same. And uh, studied mm. that, and I I love the ocean because of the waves, and especially being a somebody who's really always in sound, 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 music, sound, and I mean that's part of what drew me to Kundalini Yoga, and I've been practicing yoga and meditation for twenty years of my life. But uh, coming to Kundalini Yoga over the past three years or so, with the emphasis on sound so much, I was like, oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense it's a great fit i wondered yeah. about when you use the ocean analogy or uh, it could be uh, compared to the quantum field i guess when you say it like that like yogi bhajan i heard him say that you know if a man cheats on his wife in japan with a geisha she can feel it across even though they're not geographically close to each other and she may not even be conscious of it she can feel that sensation and you know, to use the uh, ocean analogy, I think it, moving in waves, that really resonates with me. Well, I, I don't have any doubt about that. I have a wife that is extremely intuitive and sensitive, as I think all all people are equipped to be, but especially all women. Yeah. And, and thankfully, I'm a very happy marriage and very content and deeply in love and just a devotee of my wife. Hmm. However, like if I were to like even think about considering like having some sort of uh, uh, affair, uh, maybe I was in some other country, I have no doubt whatsoever that she would know, <laughs> know about it. I have no doubt. No, like, it wouldn't even like, uh-uh, no, she, this woman would know. And, you know, so, and it's not, it's not, that's not being psychic either. You know, that is natural. You know, we know these things yes. and we can feel these things, but we haven't met. Most of us haven't been raised in a type of culture that kind of acknowledges that and knows that in its belief structure within the culture that then nurtures that and allows us to like, yeah, for sure. We are sensitive beings and and we can travel across time and space with yeah. the mind, through yeah. the mind, and we do it all the time. I love how you said that it is, that's natural. And it is, and you know, we often think about, we do these practices and anybody can tap into that psychic ability. But even using the language like I just used, it sounds like it's something outside of yourself that someday you'll get to, but it's the other way around. It's already there. It just takes you uh, doing the deep listening to hear it. Mm, that's right. You know, and back to, you know, consistency. Are we doing, do we have something like every day, take a shower, hopefully, you know, we're keeping, we brush our teeth every day. And, and yet these are the parts of us that, uh, of course we want to take a shower. We want to look good, smell good, be beautiful, physically have hygiene, etc. But, now we're evolving into the place in our uh, collective consciousness at this age where we're realizing that you also have to clean the subtle parts of yourself every day if you expect it to operate efficiently. 
And if it doesn't operate efficiently, you're gambling with your happiness, the most important thing you've got. And, and, you know, one day the body will be gone and one day the teeth will be gone. And, but there's no day where your consciousness will be gone. There's no day when the awareness will be gone. And so that's the, that coming back to that thing about, what is truly important versus what is seemingly important. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that the things that are ultimately unimportant don't get some level of importance, you know, like we like, it's, it's, you want to adorn the body temple with beautiful clothes and look cool and have swag and enjoy (laughs) planet earth while you're here. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Yet, yet that's not the, Thing, the things that are ultimately important. Yeah. The things that are ultimately important never die. And, and so can we set up our life so that even the temporary things in life, the things that are changing, even a marriage is temporary. Even the marriage that lasts forever is temporary mm-hmm. in the, in the earthly context. Even, even our, uh, fatherhood motherhood, a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a this, I'm a that. All these, these are temporary identities. Mm -hmm. So they exist on the earth realm. They exist in this particular uh, context of this part of our existence. But they can also be there as, as, almost like tools to serve the things that are ultimately important, the things that are not temporary. It's very Buddhist too, in the sense that everything is impermanent. Mm-hmm. And and if that which isn't impermanent is the only ultimately important thing. And how do you find out what remains? That's the yogic discovery. And so even though a marriage a physical marriage on the earth plane may have a certain temporary nature to it. I think the most beautiful part of marriage is when it is serving the impermanent part of ourselves Mm -hmm. to where the marriage acts as a vehicle to help you to experience the part of yourself that is infinite and to help you experience that within the context of the union, within the context uh, of uh, an, a partnership with another individual that then acts as almost like a leverage or like a, a bow or use the tension of relationship to propel yourself forward. And, and that's a beautiful thing where all the different things, I love basketball, for instance, even <laughs> basketball is part of nature. It's part of creation. It's part of life. And it, it, it works under the laws of nature. So if something as mundane as basketball can be used as a medium to experience the infinite, if it's done that, if it's done well, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's when it becomes art. So anything where we take the mundane and it becomes art, then the infinity can flow through it. So our greatest music, our greatest movies, our greatest moments in sports, our greatest moments in all aspects of life become vehicles for the non-dying, the infinity, the creative, the beauty, the love. Yes. You're speaking my language. I, gr- I grew up in a basketball uh, family. I'm, oh, yeah? I'm deep, deep, deep in the March Madness, and we do a bracket like all the cousins. And <laughs> my sister and my dad played, and you know, all my dad's cousins. And so I'm, where, where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in a city called Calgary, but in Canada here in Alberta, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I played Mm -hmm. basketball, and there wasn't a lot of basketball in Canada then. I mean, it's a lot different now, but I used to go to um, Gonzaga to go to clinics. And so whenever the time comes for the tournament, I'm cheering for Gonzaga, and um, they made it all the way to the finals last year. (laughs) We were arch enemies last year because as – and and our yogi audience is going to love this conversation, I'm sure. We're yeah. going to move past it quickly before they fall asleep. Yeah, but, they're like, oh, how uh, much longer of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife Simran and I were pulling very hard for South Carolina, and you guys took us out. So yes. Oh well. 
Yeah, but hey, to go back to what you were saying, I, I, I am so with you on that. I think that every, I'm learning, you know, over the years, I've tried to like be, you know, be really spiritual or not at all or like play the type of music that the crowd is going to like or, you know, behave in a certain way so that I think that I'll fit in. And the the more I, I realize that's not that's not how it works. I mean, that's a very surface thing. But the the deeper I get into this, uh, my practices, the more I see that everything in life is an opportunity to connect to consciousness. And I connect to, uh, you know, the deep levels of meditation. Uh, I also connect to consciousness through basketball. I love it. It's a part of who I am. I connect to it through all types of music. I'm, I'm a person who's a recovered uh, alcoholic and drug addict. And I, you know, I often say I take as much inspiration from the hardcore music that I listen to that keeps me like sober and away from drinking than I do like listening to Yogi Bhajan talk. And, and those things on the surface look completely opposite. But each mm -hmm. of those things are a vehicle. They're a neutral thing that connect me to the highest version of myself. And I guess that experience is what someone like the Buddha meant when he talked about meditating without meditating. It's, Hmm. Everything in life is an opportunity, if you're aware, to connect to your consciousness. It's a vehicle for you to see who you are. We often think of, you know, what meditation is, what it looks like, is like somebody with their index finger touching their thumb. They're sitting in a cross-legged position. Their eyes are closed. Their heart is lifted. Their shoulder blades are dropped. Their chin is tucked, etc. You know, I say that's 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 just taking care of the meditative mind. Mm -hmm. So that's working for you all the rest of the time. That's what the idea in a practice is. Is not that you're only meditating when you're sitting down meditating, but that the here's what I think is that the meditative mind, you can call it that, you can call it the neutral mind, as we sometimes refer to it in Kundalini Yoga, you can call it the intuitive mind, you can call it the third eye, you can call it whatever you want. You can make up a new name for it, it doesn't matter. But that part of the mind is not a luxury for the spiritually or mystically inclined. This is part of a mind that is necessary, that is, it, it's, being active and activated and maintained is necessary for a healthy human psyche mm -hmm. period mm -hmm. that this is not something that is esoteric it's not something that uh, should only be uh, reserved for people who you know are in synagogues or churches or mosques or or temples or whatever the case may be or yoga studios or this or that but we've got to get to a point in life in our society to where, you know, this is just commonplace. It's, it's painfully obvious once you start to work with it. Right. Uh, and it's, it doesn't require anybody's religion. You know, it doesn't require anything like that. Is that your intuitive mind and love devotion are absolute necessary qualities and aspects of a healthy human psyche that there's got to be love or devotion not necessarily devotion in the religious sense but devotion could be um, a father like yourself is devoted to his you have a daughter yes yeah your daughter okay that's devotion and that devotion helps a human mind and when that human mind when it has the watery quality of devotion, even in the form of a father's love for the daughter, will help hold the mind in content. Yes. Therefore, it's antidote to depression, antidote to anxiety, antidote to anger and passive-aggressive behaviors. But that type of devotion in and of itself may not be enough. You know, it may, it may not be enough devotion to the family, devotion to your job, Devotion, because now the devotion still, uh, in a, in a certain way, in most cases, a devotion to a job, for instance, it's pointing in the direction of 
uh, impermanence still, or it's pointing, we could say, in the downward direction, not downward meaning bad, mm -hmm. but just downward being finite. Right. Upward being infinite. So if the devotion, if a person can also generate devotion towards the part of themselves that is love, the part of life that is love, it need not be the G-O-D. It need not be contextualized that way. But it could be mm -hmm. because, again, it goes back to as long as you're a human being, you're always going to have an image of yourself. That comes from how the yogis would describe it, the fire element. And the fire element is from... The physical context is what governs your vision. Mm -hmm. It also governs the heart, muscle, the liver, the skin, the blood, etc. So it, it governs the sense of vision. But on the subtle mind, the subtle body, it governs the sense of imagery, so your sense of identity. So as long as you're a human being, you're always going to have some image of yourself. Therefore, you're always going to have some image of some something supreme of you, something that must have created you, whether consciously or subconsciously. Hmm. Now, atheists may disagree with me, but, <laughs> but I would push back on that because if you keep pushing back and going back and going back, and again, this does not require you any belief in a, in a creator or a God, but it just requires that you do have a sense that there is love. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, that's really the only important thing. And what if there was the sense, this possibility that at the nucleus of creation was love? And again, I live in the mystery. I'm not saying that is what is at the nucleus of creation, although I have a very good sense that it may be. But in the nucleus of creation, the nucleus of whatever this life is, and the nucleus of each individual is love. Not sexy love, but real love. <laughs> mm -hmm. What if that were the case? Okay, now if the devotional energy becomes or the cultivation of our lives becomes in service to that, I'm making myself an instrument of that, mm -hmm. of being good-natured, of helping, of being serviceful, of, of making sure that love is the predominant thing that is flowing through me and i do enough i have enough discipline to do the right practice to keep the energy healthy to keep the mind clear to keep my body vital so that love uh, can serve through me that's a type of devotion that is pointing in an upward direction in the sense that it's not pointing towards the finite it's pointing towards the one thing that never changes and so that type of devotion will, at even a more substantive and powerful level, hold the mind in a content, in a happiness. And that becomes a very sustainable antidote to our uh, adversities, uh, to our depressions, anxieties. I'm not trying to make it sound easy mm -hmm. or quick, but it's the, that's why I say consistency. It's the long, slow grind yeah, and making little progress one day at a time instead of trying to make big progress really quickly, which is unrealistic. You can make big progress really quickly, but to stabilize whatever the progress is that you've made takes a lot longer, you know, and any, anyone who's worked on it knows that, you know. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, you're, I would imagine the experience through working in recovery, mm -hmm. etc. you found out, you know, what are the tools that I need? Well, sometimes I'm, uh, I'm you know, sometimes it's not a Yogi Bhajan moment and I'm going to turn on, what do you do? What do you turn on? What was the music you were referencing? What, oh, the music that I was listening to? I mean, I listen to yeah, a, like, yeah, like bands like Minor Threat, and I like this band called Good Riddance. And, and they're bands that I listened to when I was a teenager, that I was hearing them talk about what it would be like, you know. That's like punk rock? Yeah, punk rock. But it's, you know, they're not uh -huh. drinking and taking drugs. And I got introduced even to veganism through that. And even at the time, sure. go back 15 years ago, or even 20 years ago, and I'm hearing this stuff, and I'm thinking inside, something inside of me is going, 
wouldn't it be so cool if you like had the guts to do that? And then on the surface, I'm going, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's stupid or, or whatever. Um, but there's a, there's a lesson in there <clears throat> that took me a long time to hear. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I read that book. What's that book? Dharma Punks? Yeah. I can't remember the brother's name. <laughs> no, no, uh, Levine. It's funny that you bring that up because yeah. uh, I was going to say when you said, I wonder what the atheist would have to say about this. I was going to say, I have one of my favorite atheists. Uh, I'm interviewing him on Thursday and it's Noah Levine. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I read that book at one point. I thought it was great. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. Dharma Punks. Yeah, that's really yeah. what put me on, and I just uh, celebrated. You know, I've been in recovery for, um, I went to treat. You know, I've had a substance abuse problem for twenty years of my life, twenty three years of my life, and it wasn't until um, meeting Guru Singh a couple of years ago that I finally put the bottle down. Like I always thought, oh, as long as you don't take drugs, it's no problem. And it took me mm. over twenty years to get it, but everything uh, lined up and. I've been doing practice along the way. And I think one of the things is that speaking of Kundalini yoga is that I did all the posturing. I could put my leg behind my head, put my feet on top of my head, do all the things. I read all the books. I went yeah. to the university. I did all the intellectual posturing. And then when I started doing uh, this practice, you know, I uh, Kundalini yoga, I had to face my mind and, and, mm. It, it's been incredible. Like I didn't, I didn't go to a meeting or anything over the past two years of getting sober. I just did sadhana and kept a close relationship to a teacher. And I've just been amazed at, you know, what worked. Now, that being said, all those years of posturing uh, intellectually and physically, those were a part of the process. This has been a 23 year, talk about a slow grind. <laughs> this has been yeah. a 23 year grind. And now I'm in a position where I can actually be of service to people. And I got a box full of tools. Yeah. It's the beautiful grind, you know, <laughs> because at first it seems like hard work, but, and it is hard work for sure, but it's this, that type of work that you end up and it's like a love affair, you know, marriage is hard work, mm -hmm. isn't it? I think it's hard work Yeah, to keep a marriage healthy, yeah, but it's a great way. It's a beautiful. It's beautiful work. Yeah. It's a love affair. Love affair. Love affair. Yeah. Yeah. It requires a, a steadiness. That's for sure. And the clarity that comes along, though, I really love the way that you are talking about this coming into everything. Because, you know, my, for me, the reason why it isn't hard for me to be consistent in my daily practices is because I've experienced what it, like to uh, not in a pretty severe way like you know yeah. I almost lost it all and, and I did that once before when I was younger and so now when I do my sadhana it's really like uh, I <clears throat> at first I think the first year of, of you know putting the bottle down and using kundalini yoga to get clean the first year was like I have to do my sadhana or something bad is going to happen <laughs> And then the survival, <laughs> survival, yeah. exactly. And then mm -hmm. the second year of it was like, wow, like I, I get to do all the things that are important to me uh, with mental clarity and full presence. And that's the best. And why wouldn't I do that? You know, it's like I, mm -hmm. I don't have a day when I feel sick and don't want to hang out with my daughter because I had a late night the night before and I had too much to drink or I'm, I'm not you know, telling stories to my partner because, you know, I'm partying or whatever. I get to be fully engaged in that relationship uh, with my daughter, fully engaged in that relationship with my partner. I get to go to punk rock shows. I get to go to reggae shows. I get to collect records. I get to uh, play basketball. I get to teach and be in the center with the students. It's like every moment is this moment of like, wow, this is me and this is amazing. And if I don't uh, keep consistency in my practice, there's like a dullness that sets in. Yeah, beautifully said. And you found a new way to get high, essentially. <laughs> and, one that, and one that leaves you with a net gain yeah. on the back end instead of a net loss. And 
And I think that's necessary, you know, you have to have what is the way that we get lifted in a way that doesn't make us dull or, you know, less vitality, but more vitality, more clarity. And so that's the early part of it is like, first you have the survival, you know, I just need to do it just to hang on, you know, for some people that's often the case. Mm. And then, and then some, then it can hit a point where I, consistency isn't very difficult anymore. Consistent, you know, I've developed that habit. It's part of a lifestyle now. Mm -hmm. And so for the most part, it's not difficult at all, the consistency part. But what does I feel and experience to be something that does end up happening is it takes maintenance to make sure that then whatever it is that I am being consistent with remains fresh and juicy, you know. And so, like, I bet you get that from being with the in the center with the students, with doing podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, reading, studying, being a... Uh, mo- most important of all is being a student, mm-hmm. you know, being a, being a student of the teachings mm-hmm. and being a student of the lifestyle, being a student, studentship is, is I think so crucial. And so that, that becomes, you know, like, all right, how do we stay juicy and fresh to where it doesn't start to become going through the motions or then doesn't the new sense of identity, all right, now I'm no longer a this or a that that I used to be, but I'm now a this. But now so that identity doesn't get so stagnant and rigid. Okay, I'm into yoga, I'm into this and I'm that. But that, so I, then I start posturing. Pun slightly intended. Yeah. I start, right. I start posturing subconsciously. You know what I'm saying? To where then it develops this new facade, but it's more like a spiritual, fa- spiritualized facade. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To where then the thing becomes, you know, we're saying all the right words, we're going through all the right motions, but we've been somehow got disconnected from what was genuine to us and who we are. That's why I like the punk rock thing in, you know, your case is because it, you know, keeps keeps you real, keeps you gritty. And then knowing that, all right, that might not move the pranic life force intelligence up through the heart chakra and through the throat so that it nurtures and feeds the pineal gland might not do that. Yeah. But you got other things that'll do that. But that punk rock, so to speak, now we're using it just as a metaphor or analogy, keeps you real, keeps you gritty. You know, and if you're feeling angry or feeling whatever, I'm not projecting this onto you. I'm speaking you know, generally. <laughs> yeah. Then you got something like I can turn that up, you know, turn up the subwoofer, move some energy that way. But I know I'm going to do sadhana, you know. And so then I got my practice, sadhana practice. Yeah. And I got that meditation practice. Not so I'm going to be a rigid meditator, a rigid spiritual guy. But so that I can be relaxed and enjoy life and go out and shoot hoops and do whatever and have fun with my kid and do all the things that we're here to do, enjoy life. Because I have enough discipline and enough smarts and enough wisdom to actually do what I need to do so that I can do what I want to do. You ever seen The Great Debaters with uh, uh, Force Whitaker and Denzel? No, I haven't. Uh, and that's a good movie. Yeah, it's been years since I've seen it, but Forrest Whitaker plays this pastor. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, they're living in Jim Crow South. So, you know, I'd imagine like the type of parenting you have to do in the Jim Crow South is very different than what you and I have to do with our kids. <laughs> right. We're both ca- Caucasians living in, you know, relatively affluent. I don't even know where you live. I know that, you know, it's, you're doing all right, you know, mm-hmm. and but living in the Jim Crow South as a, as a black person, there's a different type of parenting you have to do. No doubt about it. Right. To protect, protect your children. Anyways, Forrest Whitaker's son is one of the main characters in the, in the movie. And that was the thing he always told him in the movie. And I always took that away. I took that away from that movie. I don't know if it was original in that movie, mm-hmm. but I, it stuck with me. I actually use it with my son. If Do what you need to do so that you can do what you want to do. Yeah. What you need to do is make sure your mind is like a diamond. 
So then what you want to do is enjoy life and be filled with love. What you need to do is purify that mind, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then what you want to do is you want to be in blissfulness. You want to be happy. What you need to do, boy, is your homework. Is what you want to do is be freed up. Do what you need to do. Because otherwise, what you want, if you go with what you want to do first, it's a, you're not going to really get it. It's going to be a false freedom. A freedom that comes with a weight. Mm -hmm. I love that. What you do, what you need to do. Yeah. Then you'll do what you want to do. Yeah, it's it's so true, and it is an it's an interesting uh, one, even with the identity um, point that we sort of touched on during this conversation. Is that you know we are doing what we need to do with the aspect of the meditation, keeping the mind clean, and also doing what you want to do, enjoying the your life, uh, and then as you pass through that, you still come up against. Uh, Confusion. I, I think one of my favorite stories that comes to mind with Yogi Bhajan that really sits with me is somebody said, okay, I'm really getting the benefits of this practice, but I, I need to know like what to do when you get confused. Like, what do you do with confusion? And he told the person, if you find out, let me know. <laughs> you know, and, and we look at well, somebody who's a great teacher like that and, and to think like, yeah, everybody's going through that, like the confusion comes up and that's why the consistency in the practice is so important because it doesn't just go away. Like there's always the moment of like, what am I doing? What, what should, could I be doing more? What about this? What about, and, and I guess that's just the mind turning and turning and turning or the well, thinking. I, mind, I know I what to do. I know what to do when you feel confusion, you feel confused. Yeah. That's the thing. That's what I, I go by, you know, what do you do if you're feeling anxious? Feel anxious. Hmm. What do you do if you feel confused? Feel confused. Because otherwise you're stuffing that into the somewhere else, you know, or you frustrate yourself. Hmm. So if it's like an, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not, this is not in a, uh, <laughs> I'm not, this is not in opposition to Yogi Bhajan's advice. You know, I'm just having fun with it more or less. Yeah, I see. But it's also very real. Yeah. Is that, and I think that's kind of what he was saying. Well, let me know. You know, because there's nothing to really figure out. Right. If you're confused, then if you don't want to be confused and then you indulge your dislike of confusion and then you magnify your dislike of confusion mm. because I shouldn't be confused, then it exacerbates the whole thing. Right. Whereas if it's okay to be confused and I'm smart enough, I'm not going to make any dis important decisions. If I'm confused, I'm going to wait for clarity to come. Yes. I know it's not a, it's not a head trip, you know, hmm. it's a, it's a heart trip. So I, this confusion help me Lord, but I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm cool. With, and, and I'm cool with that. I might not like it, but I'm cool. But here's the last part of that, that they didn't cover in the great debaters. <laughs> that, Forrest Whitaker, who I believe Forrest Whitaker is a Kundalini Yoga guy, or at least at one point he was. Oh, I didn't know that. I think he, I think he was a student of Krishna in LA. Mm. I believe I saw that at some point. I don't know 100% though. So anyhow, the last part of that is you do what you need to do so that you do what you want to do. But then what, over time, if what you need to do is a yogic thing, meaning that it's what tunes you in is what gives you your experience of your own infinity, impermanence. Then what you need to do and what you want to do will slowly begin to merge into the same thing. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's the, that's the, um, you know, Khalil, I think it's Khalil Gibran, the, the teaching of, mm. you know, what, what appears to bind you is what makes you free. Mm. But it doesn't, you know, and that's true. I mean, I could even say that about my own experience with the resistance teacher of substance abuse. Like if I didn't pass through all of this pain and uh, error, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about this. You know, I just, it just wouldn't, it doesn't work like that. 
And then it brings up the question, and I don't know that we, we may have to save this for another time, but then it brings up the question is like, how much say do you actually have in all of this? You know, like if everything is mind and you have a relationship to all of this and, you know, I look at my life and I can see that, yes, I had say in me getting to where I am. And then in other ways, it's like, but did I? And and that question will always be there. Mm -hmm. That's the mystery, you know, yeah. and that's why, you know, it's hard to make it a head trip. Yeah. You know, the head trip's a, di a difficult path. Yeah. That's why I'm into the, the love trip because I'm into that, you know, and I'm into exploring that, but I'm into exploring it. I'm into exploring the mystery and not be too concerned with what the answers are. Yes. As much as, wow, that's cool. That's trippy. <laughs> Far out. Yeah. But not, not needing to know. Yeah. I don't need to know. Yeah. The only thing I need to know is, is, is that, what can, how can I live as a happy person? And happy people uh, come, f I think, from from being service and love oriented. Yeah, you know, totally. And how, you want to get happiness? I think you have to share it with others. Yeah, and, and that could be just be a smile, you know, or anything. Little itty bitty things can sometimes have big impacts. Yeah. That's definitely true. Well, man, I sure appreciate we we I just looked at the time for the recording and I was like, holy smokes, talk we began this we began <laughs> this quick. conversation with talking about going beyond time and space and it feels like it's been ten minutes, but it it's been more than we did it. It's been more. Maybe we'll have to uh, make some plans down the line for a round two because I sure enjoyed uh chatting with you about all of this. Anytime, man. Yeah. Hey, um, Jaydev, could you let people know where they can get in touch uh, with you for, you know, like the Life Force Academy, where's the best place to reach you on social media, what you're up to, anything you want listeners yep. to know about? Yeah, for sure. So my website's jaydevsingh.com, but uh, to get the Life Force Academy, check this out. It's very simple. The URL is LFA, like Life Force Academy, LFA.yoga. So they can go to LFA.yoga, check out the Life Force Academy, and my website you can find through there. JaydaveSing.com is not as easy to spell as LFA.yoga, <laughs> but I'm on Facebook. Uh, Jaydave Singh, J A I D E V, two words, and then my last name is Singh, S I N. G H and Instagram. I'm there and Twitter. I'm there and hit me up. I love to connect with people and uh, we're all over the place, traveling all over. Uh, so they, all my events are up on our uh, Facebook page, event page and love to love to connect with everyone out there. Beautiful man. And uh, we, of course, well, I would love to, if your wife is ever interested in coming on here and having a chat, I would sure love to talk to her. We play her music constantly at the Dharma Temple. She's something special. You already know that, though. <laughs> she is something special. And I know she's my wife, but I'm still always in awe of, um, you know, she has this new live album that I'm just like, God, man, it's so good. And I, you know, yeah, I'm sure you experience this in your own ways like there's a, a woman who's like my wife that you know we have household you know relationships and you know domestic life etc uh -huh. and then there's this woman that gets up on stage and that sings and there's something else going on there and i'm i'm still in awe of it i'm always am like i was like I don't turn, I don't barely turn our music off until, unless I'm putting on some punk rock. <laughs> I, it's funny. <laughs> I'm more of a hip hop guy, but yeah, well, hey, I, you know I like I mean. it all. I mean, I've mm -hmm. been collecting records most of my life. I was talking to this numerologist on the last episode and he was like, Oh yeah, your numbers is all sound. He's like, it, it just makes sense. You're just like, you can't not have sound. So just continue to explore it the way you are that's your spiritual practice 
whether it's doing my Japji every morning or whether it's listening to hip hop or punk rock or reggae or, you know, I, I just, you know, I've always been like that. I'm in the record store. Yeah. I'm listening to music. I'm, and now my daughter's got her own section on the shelf where she can buy her own vinyl. And so she's not just like flipping through YouTube yeah, and cool. listening to things for 10 seconds. And All right. That's good parenting. <laughs> that's so that's what's so dope about Simrit, though. You know, uh, a friend of ours, Belinda Carlisle from the Go-Go's, mm -hmm. is also Kundalini Yogi. Yep. And her and Simrit are very tight. They're good friends. And it, when she wrote this thing about Simrit, she's like, I don't know what it is. And this is what she said. She's like, Simrit just is like, she's just like punk rock to me. Like, there's something about her. And because it's not like this, uh, and, and now I'm, I'm talking, not Belinda, but there's just like it's not it's not this kind of uh it's nothing like I've ever experienced where it's got the whole muntric element going on, but it's not the kind of typical you know landscape muntric sound mm -hmm. it has this whole thing that travels into a, in another way has this penetrative power and, and and then on the other side like great musicianship yes and 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 artistry and all that and yet it is lifting up the life force into the high center so for me and and for me like all right here we go we're starting to get and I, I'm, I'm the same as you, man. I love all types of music. Mm -hmm. But what I love, love about what she's doing and what her whole band and her are doing is it's that level. Like, it's like going to see Burning Spear or, you know, or going to see The Dead. That type of level of musicianship artistry. And it has the thing where it does the same thing as a Kundalini Yoga Kriya, where it lifts the life force up into the high centers. And that's that. Con that's what I've been yearning for in our music, and it, it's not it. And it and it doesn't do it in a way that waters it down. Yes, you know what I mean. Yeah. Whereas a lot, sometimes that fusion stuff will water the mantric stuff down, you know. And this this thing it ha maintains the like deep depth and authenticity of it. Anyways, man, I know she's my wife, but <laughs> I feel like. I honestly feel like I'd be talking about it her like that. She wasn't my yes. wife. That music, just because I love the music so oh, much. I hear you fully. Uh, definitely, especially with the Cora, I love that. It's got got the like oh, midnight man. kind of sound. Uh, have you heard that mi midnight oh, yeah. album that he did with uh, Yusufa Sidibe? Yeah, yeah, we like we got that album. I love that. Yeah. And Salif on the Cora, he is a maestro. He is, he's just. There's very few people on this, you know, outside of Mali that can play the core like that, man. Yeah, and amazing. I, oh boy, yeah, amazing. Well, we could go on and on, I know. Man. I, I bet you're trying I, to. Speak. I know we could. So I'm gonna. I think we'll call it here and we'll do a round two. So thank you so much for uh, coming on and and chatting with us, Jai Dev. It's just such an inspiration uh, to have you on here, and we we really loved having this chat, and I'm sure the listeners will love listening to it. Right on. Thanks, All man. right. I'll talk to you in a sec.